What a great, great message of grace. Well, the time is going. I, I wish I knew how to get some of this in. But this is all, this is what Romans 16:25 is all about. Don't make that two messages or two phases of his work. Maybe first he just preached the basic things. It's true, he got it by gradual revelation. But it was all one message, gradually revealed. And that's why in Romans 3:22 and 23 it says there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 10, uh, 12 and 13, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all. I wonder how many are here tonight. How many need to do this? He is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that too much to ask? He doesn't ask you to do a thing. He doesn't ask you to pay a thing. He doesn't ask you to pray so long or so much. He only asks you to want it. Do you want it? If you do, you can be saved right now, right in your seat. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, said Paul, and thou shalt be saved. And here it is, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, God has no favorites today, does he? Nobody's first. You're not first, you're not first. Nobody's first. We're all poor sinners. No hope without God in the world until Christ comes into our lives and we accept him as our Savior. Now then, the next thing. Jew and Gentile is on the same level or on the same level. But saved Jews and Gentiles become even more one than that. They're not only the same, not only in the same boat, they're in the same body. <laughs> they're one. Now then, look please at Ephesians again, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He is our peace who has broken, who has uh, made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh. How do the liberals answer that? How do they answer Colossians 2 when he says, in the body of his flesh we were reconciled? Here it is, the body. <coughs> Chapter 2, verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. How do you abolish that in his flesh? Ah, oh, by the scourge that was laid to his back. By the cat and nine tails that tore it by the crown of thorns placed upon his head, by the pulling of his beard and his hair and the spitting in his face, by the beating with rods, by the blindfolding and the slapping of his face, by the ridicule he received, by finally pouring out his lifeblood for our sins. That's how he abolished the enmity against, was the enmity against us, the law. The Lord said, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Christ said, wait, 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 I'll take the punishment. And in the body of his flesh, he abolished the law of commandments contained in decrees. Why? For to make, <coughs> to make in himself of twain one new man. Isn't that do? Just a minute, I want to rest. Now, turn to the third chapter, please. 
And here we have it again. This is all so beautifully washed. For this cause I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, we read to the third verse, uh, how by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now the sixth verse, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, first of all, in all three of these, the fellow heirs, same body, partakers, you have the Greek prefix or sum, S-U-S-U-M, which means joint. Some have translated this, and very correctly, that Gentile, the Gentiles should be joint heirs and of a joint body and joint partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Ah, oh, somebody says, and some have said, our Acts 28 friends have said, oh, this is prophetic. Paul is giving us prophetic truth here. It says, partakers of his promise. And of course, that's Old Testament, is it? Turn to Titus 1. Titus 1. And while you do, remember, he said, joint partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Titus 1, please. Verses 2 and 3. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised when? Before the world began, our dear brother from Toronto couldn't be quiet. He spoke right out. He promised it when? Before the world began. Do you think it was promised in Genesis then? Or Exodus? No, he promised it before the world began. And he hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me, Paul said. Well, what does he mean? He promised it before the world or before the ages, if you please, began. Did he promise it to men? No, there were no men yet. There's no indication he promised it to angels, but there is indication he made the promise to himself. Didn't you make some of your your strongest felt promises? Haven't you made some of your promises that most your soul and spirit and body entered into to yourself? You said, by the grace of God, I won't do this again. Or by the grace of God, I promise it. If he'll help me, I will do this. God made that kind of a promise to himself, only he didn't have to say with the help of God because he's omniscient. God made a promise to himself. That's why Acts 2 calls it the immutable counsel. S-U-L, that's S-E-L. That's when people get together and talk in counsel. The immutable counsel of his will. The Father, just as our body, soul, and spirit enter into such a promise. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together made this promise about what we are enjoying today. How about that? God who cannot lie. In the next chapter, Paul says, the Cretans, that's where Titus was, are always liars. One of their own prophets said, one of their own spokesmen said, the Cretans are always liars. And he said, this witness is true. And surrounded by liars everywhere. We're in a world something like that today, aren't we? But in a world surrounded, where we're surrounded by liars, we have the sure word of God. He made a promise, the greatest person who ever could be depended upon. 
made a promise to the greatest person who ever was, the pre-existent, eternally existent God to himself. He made a promise. I will do this, and we are joint partakers of this promise in Christ by the gospel. Uh, remember, I've got about six scriptures I'd like to give here, but Titus, the or First Timothy rather, the uh, the uh, ninth, the first chapter in the ninth and tenth verse. He says he has saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and his own grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world or the ages began how do you like that does that make you say amen does that make you happy oh what a, what a wonderful truth well how different from Israel's hope oh God has not cast away Israel forever he set the nation aside, not the individuals, but he set them aside as a nation for a while. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until, but when he brings them to himself as a nation, their prospect is earthly. They'll be a great nation on earth. Their calling is to make God's name great in the earth. And someday he says, I'll put them in my land of Palestine, a plant of my planting. No one shall uproot them again, but they'll flourish and prosper. And Israel, uh, the promises to Israel will be fulfilled, but they are promises that have to do with this earth and the establishment of the kingdom of Christ, of Messiah, on earth. How different we are. Oh, we weren't God's chosen people. We were nobody. He never made a promise to us. That's why Paul says, oh, I want you to know what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm telling him my gospel to you, you Gentiles. This was never predicted. God never promised this. But here we are. Oh, I know one Jewish sister here. How many more are there? Very few, if any. But by God's grace, he said, I'm not looking at you now as one or the other Gentiles who were given up long ago because they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge and he gave them up to vile affections and they're certainly proving it today and the Jew because he didn't receive his Messiah and was also a sinner God put them all aside and now he says grace, grace and the beginning of every one of Paul's epistles is the declaration grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our blessings are not earthly. Ah, oh, so many of God's saints suffer even more than the godless people next door. Ah, but they by grace and through faith may rise up above these sorrows and troubles and, uh, and occupy their position and appropriate... Let's start over. Occupy their position and appropriate their blessings in Christ. And so God in his infinite grace helps us to now by faith live above this world if we only accept it. What his grace provides we can and should accept by faith. But our prospect is also heavenly and spiritually, uh, spiritual. The time is coming when he will come and call us to be with him. 
and then ours will be the rejoicing in what we now rejoice in by faith then we'll see it one more thing and I'm closed the first chapter of Ephesians please and here we come to the wonderful consummation of the mystery verse 9 having made known unto us the mystery the secret of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself now look somebody said to me some time ago this is different are there two mysteries that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are honor in heaven and which are on earth even in him you say that's different he says the time is coming not now but in the dispensation of the fullness of time and i won't enter into discussion exactly when that will be but it's to come and in the dispensation of the fullness of times he's going to gather all in heaven and earth not under the earth but heaven and earth into one in christ that's what he says the mystery is it is it is the culmination of it it fits with ephesians 2 7 when he says he's done this that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace how in his kindness toward us through christ jesus here he says that someday all are going to be gathered together in one in christ is that happening today well certainly not <laughs> not all on earth the unsaved the world certainly doesn't know that oneness the uh, professing church doesn't know that oneness the true church doesn't know that oneness that oneness we have only in christ let me try to illustrate here i have two arms they're one that belong to the same body but they hang they're suspended from opposite sides of my body yet they are so wonderfully one if this hand is hurt the other leaps to help if they, this hand has a splinter in it this one laboriously and patiently helps to take it out if another part of my body is hurt both hands will go to help the body has been hurt this is one body and both of these arms are one but how are they one where are they one up here that's where the oneness of these two arms reside in the head in the mind alone that's where these arms are one and oh beloved if we could only see that maybe we'd enjoy our oneness together more we so quickly set our affection on things on earth instead of things in heaven we so quickly want ourselves and our organizations and our groups to go no problems you know oh no that oneness is in christ and the closer we all get to christ the closer we all seek to be near to him in our experience the more we will experience that oneness well the oneness then is in the head and it's a wonderful oneness oh what blessing what fellowship we have had here I've seen, oh, I've seen more hugging and kissing here. <laughs> People throwing their arms around each other, haven't seen each other for a long time or didn't, had known each other but only by correspondence and so on. 
but it must begin my unsaved friends you can have all of this a position in heaven in Christ God says you're worrying about whether you're going to get there you're already here and blessed with all spiritual blessings you may have it but it's got to begin where Paul says it begins this is the gospel that I preach to you do you remember that great great song by John Newton in evil long I took delight unawed by shame or fear until a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood he fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood oh never till my latest breath shall I forget that look it seemed to charge me with his death though not a word he spoke my conscience felt and owned the guilt it plunged me in despair I knew my sins his blood had spilled and helped to nail him there another look he gave which said I freely all forgive this blood is for thy ransom paid I die that thou mayst live thus while that death my sin displays in all its blackest hue such is the mystery of grace it seals my pardon too isn't that wonderful all my unsaved friends don't wait don't go out of this place with uh, the curse of God and the judgment of God upon you trust him as your savior now tonight I'm not going to ask you to come forward or not even do this you don't have to do anything in your heart of hearts call say Lord I want this I want to be saved I do believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me and you know what before you leave this place he will be yours and you will be his how does that song go heaven above is softer blue earth around is sweeter green something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen birds with gladder songs are flow flowers with deeper beauty shine since I know as now I know I am his and he is mine thank you and God bless you don't forget that mystery packet if you want to learn more about this and also one more thing we have a specially bound picture book of the work of Berean Bible Society it's a special job it costs us almost a dollar and a half that's what we'll sell it to you for it has more than a hundred pictures of the work and we're trying to get this blessed message out we're trying to get by the Spirit of God to touch the hearts of the unsaved and the hearts of the saved that they might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ brother Wynn, thank you I'm gonna ask that uh, all of you dear people will uh, take pity on Mr. Sam and not uh, detain him. You want to go back perhaps right now. Would you like to? Sure. Yes. Uh, I get so, so many people uh, love to just stop and just uh, take a lot of his time. And he's very tired. And uh, I know that he'll appreciate very much 
that you appreciate the message and uh, you can just uh, wave at it. That'll be all. <laughs> Fine. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. We're so glad you've been here. And especially you who just came in for the evening. Would you kindly register back there? Just let us know that you were here. And we'll appreciate it so very much. And again, a word to any unsaved person who may have slipped into this service. You know, we'd think that most everybody who, come to a, who comes to a Bible conference would be a saved person, but not always. Sometimes someone comes along who doesn't know that they have trusted Christ. Why not trust him right tonight? We'd be so glad to meet you up here. Some of us are going to be here after the service, and instead of going out the door, you can come this way, and we'll sit down with this book and show you from God's Word personally how you can have the assurance of salvation. Shall we stand as we close? We're letting you out in good time so that you can have lots of time to fellowship, meet new friends, and uh, spend some time together over the Scriptures. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being here tonight, and we rejoice in the great message of the gospel of grace. Help us, Lord, to go away, having received that for our own spirit and soul, which we have need of. We commit the result to Thee, and we thank Thee in the Savior's name. Amen. You are dismissed. It's a privilege for me to be able to turn over the service at this time to Pastor C.R. Sam, President of Brian Bible Society, Editor of the Brian Searchlight, and of course, well known to every one of us here. Many of you are here just for this evening, so you could hear our brother Sam. We're so glad to have you with us, and uh, we're going to listen with real blessing as our brother Sam takes over the service at this time. Where are you, beloved? say a word about that new book, Our Great Commission. Do you mind if I say two words? Get it. Uh, but I know he won't mind if I say something about, in connection with the message I'm bringing tonight, I want to speak with the help of God on the mystery. What is it? The mystery, what is it? And uh, we have back there what we call a mystery packet. And not because there's anything mysterious about it, but every book in it is about the mystery. Satan in derision, the heart of the mystery, that's the big book. The knowledge of the mystery, the dimensions of the mystery, and the twofold purpose of God. That's going to cost you the total sum of $2. How about that? So you go back there and meet our Mildred it is now, not Virginia anymore, too bad. I don't mean that's too bad Mildred is there, but I mean, too bad, uh, too bad uh, Virginia couldn't be here. She wanted to and her husband, but uh, their mother isn't well, and uh, they didn't dare take her, and they felt they should stay with her, so that's why she and her husband are not here. But you get all these books, it's, I tell you, it's all four of them in a white packet, and it says back there, mystery packet. <laughs> so all you do is save her time, have two dollars ready, Give it to her and take a take a package of the book. All right? 
You know, last year, this time, I must say I came here with a rather heavy and uh, concerned heart because Virginia was going to go with her husband down south and uh, he was going to retire. And we had been looking and looking and advertising and talking it up and asking ministers to look for a good secretary and we couldn't find any. And it was right here that by the grace of God he led us to Mildred Benson. Mildred and Virginia are very different. Some of you have met Mildred already. They're very different in some ways, but very much alike in the ways that are most important. They're uh, both, as I said, good secretaries. And they're both always pleasant, always pleasant. They're both thoroughly dedicated to the Lord and his work. And they're both all business. You know what the last words were that Mildred said to me when she left for Pennsylvania last week? She said, get lots of proteins now. <laughs> so uh, we thank the Lord for these women that labor with us in the gospel and these men too. Ricky curses here, our latest addition. He's running the line of comp. Where are you, Ricky? Stand up. And all you people that want to turn around and look at him, here, oh, there he is. Don't have to turn around. Ricky Kurtz. We love him, and we're so glad he's with us. We have a wonderful, happy team, and we're grateful for it. Now to the Word of God. We, our question now is, and I pray that God will give us all wisdom and light and understanding and that he'll make us uh, willing to receive any new light we, he may give us because the mystery is a very uh, is a subject which can oh it can thrill us so and then that, that thing can vanish you know that vision can be gone because of certain basic details we haven't remembered now the first question I'd like to ask is this is the mystery or was the mystery Paul's message or was it only one phase or one part of his message? That's the main question. Get that straight and the whole thing will fall into place much more readily. Turn with me please to Romans 16 uh, verse 25. Romans 16 verse 25. Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and so on. Now then, uh, the word and in this verse, the Greek is chi, we spell it K-A-I, chi. It may be used by way of addition, I had cake and ice cream. That's addition. But it may also be used by way of emphasis, or should I say more carefully, further clarification. Now, I believe it is the latter sense in which it is used here, and I'll tell you why. He's of power to establish you according to my gospel and, that is, or it's been translated even, the preaching of Jesus Christ 
according to the revelation of the mystery. Some think, some have supposed that my gospel was the good news of salvation through the cross, but that we are established by the truth of the mystery. For here he says we are established by my gospel, and then he adds, but by way I believe of further clarification, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Let me ask you, those of you who have learned anything about the blessed truth of the mystery revealed to and through Paul, would you consider that good news? Yes or no? Yeah, that was pretty good, but I don't believe it spoke to your heart. <laughs> Do you believe it was good news, yes or no? Oh, yes. What good news? Then there would be two Gospels, wouldn't there? My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. If that and is used by way of addition, wouldn't he have two Gospels? And wouldn't we be established then by the preaching of salvation as well as the preaching of the mystery? No, they are both one. His Gospel was the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Let's turn, please to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So you see, you cannot divorce his message of grace, the dispensing of grace, from the truth of the mystery. Tell me, what about our position in the heavenlies in Christ? What about our all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? What about our oneness in the body? Are they not uh, is that not gospel? Is that not good news? Of course it is. Is that not grace? Every bit of it is the grace of God. So here you have them again, and more clearly even, spoken of as one and the same. He calls his whole message, or his whole ministry, my dispensing of the grace of God to yours. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Do you remember what he says in Acts 20, 24 about his sufferings? Uh, none of these things move me, he says. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Now listen. That I might finish my course with joy. There he goes to the end, doesn't he, of his ministry? That I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. It is all one great, glorious, wonderful message. If they are not the same, and if it is true, as some have thought, that the gospel of salvation by grace because it refers to the cross and is anchored in the cross and flows from the cross, if it is true that therefore it is what's been called a prophesied gospel, 
and the mystery is unprophesied, then we're in trouble, and I want to show you how. Let's turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is a very important passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, unless it's just a nominal mental thing. For I received unto, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Now some have stumbled over that twice repeated phrase about the burial and resurrection of Christ. They've stumbled over the phrase according to the scripture. So they say that Paul, when he preached the gospel or his preaching of the cross was preaching a prophesied message. It was there in the Old Testament. Now then, that can't be so, and I'm going to show you in a moment that that can't be so. But first, for elucidation, that's a good word uh, sake, I want to say that what it really is, what he's really saying, is that it doesn't conflict with the Old Testament prophecies, but is in accordance with it. And you see that once, and you'll see the harmonies, the sweeps, the development in Scripture. Sure, the cross was prophesied. His death and resurrection were prophesied, but not what Paul had to say about it. This was a further development. God waited until he saved the chief of sinners to show what the cross had accomplished and what it could do. Now then, the reason I say that is because you have these two passages here also and they're very important. He mentions that gospel which I preach unto you. That distinguishes it from other gospels. We have the same phraseology in Galatians 2 too. He says, I went up by revelation. I was sent up and I communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. And verse 6 says they couldn't tell me anything. I knew what they knew about the prophesied scriptures, but contrarywise, I was able to show them something, that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. Also, he says in verse 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received. And that familiar phraseology with him and speaks of that special message which he received by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if the gospel, if his preaching of the cross was a prophesied message, if what he said about the cross was prophesied, then we have more real problems. You are a dear. Thank you. Oh, that's worth it. That's good. Now then, look, if... These are two different messages. If his preaching of the cross was the fulfillment of prophecy and what the prophecy had predicted, what do you do with Luke 24, where first 
the Lord is seen walking with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and it says, and he, uh, from beginning at Moses, and in all the scriptures, oh, big, I beg your pardon, beginning at Moses, and in all the prophets, he expounded of them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then toward the end of the chapter in Luke 24, he appears to the tenth, and it says in the 45th verse, and he opened their eyes that they might understand the scripture. Now they had a good grasp of the meaning of Old Testament prophecy concerning his death and resurrection, because that's what they were talking about in that 24th chapter. Then do you remember in Acts 1-3 it says that for 40 days more he went on teaching them what they were to preach from the Old Testament and from what he had told them. Now, if the cross as Paul preached it is found in Old Testament scripture, why didn't they preach it? It says they understood the Old Testament. It says their hearts burned within them as they opened the scriptures to the two on the way to a man. Why then didn't they know it and why didn't they preach it? Why didn't Peter at Pentecost say, Christ died for you, I have the best news, a message of grace. Christ died for you, just believe on him and everlasting life is yours, but he didn't. He preached what the prophets did say about the cross. He offered the way of salvation by the cross that God did predict about Israel. They said, you took, or Peter said, you took Christ and by wicked hands you crucified and slew him. And now, then when they said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. He accused them of the death of Christ and told them to repent. And how will Israel be saved? You know it. It's in Zechariah 11 and a half a dozen other places. When will they be saved? When they listen to Peter's message. It says, They shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And the ensuing verses go on to explain or to describe how they'll all be ashamed to look at each other. The house of David apart and the house of Nathan apart and this house apart and that house apart, these families and the husbands apart and the wives apart, everybody standing in a corner ashamed, one ashamed to look at the other. That's when Israel will be saved. Is that how you were saved? No, how you were saved is found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, This is the gospel which I preach to you, you Gentiles in Corinth, and uh, which you receive, and wherein you stand, and by which you're saved. What is it? Christ died for our sins. That's where it starts. And he was buried and he rose again. And this was no contradiction of prophecy. Paul had not risen to contradict the written word of God, there was a further development, a further revelation about it. And this and this only it is, is what is properly called the preaching of the cross. That is as good news. Turn with me, if you will, please, to the uh, second chapter of, of uh, Acts and the 38th verse. 
the second chapter of Acts, I beg your pardon, no, no I'm wrong, the uh, second chapter of Timothy, and uh, verses 4 to 6. Now here we really have it again, and I think, to me it's clear, 1 Timothy 2 and the uh, fourth verse. Uh, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Oh, my unsaved friend, listen to it. God is not willing that any should perish. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He didn't play with mankind as men might play with marbles. Oh, no. God says that he will have all, that's the word for desire now, it is his desire to have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Soak it in, my unsaved friend, believe it, rejoice in it, thank God for it, accept it. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. He died for you, my dear unsaved friend. I'll never forget the first time I really saw those words. I had read them a thousand times since I was a child, but I really saw those words for the first time. Christ died for our sins. He paid it all. He died for my sins. That's how we are saved, says Paul, and that's how I was saved. Now then, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified. Oh, do you get those words? To be, to be testified when in due time. He doesn't say as it had been testified all through the Old Testament. This is not the product of prophecy. This was not predicted. He doesn't say uh, it was immediately uh, made known when Christ had suffered and died and risen again. No, that's what some people think. They think it was made known under the Great Commission, and it wasn't. Read the Great Commission. You will find one word about Christ dying for sinners, much less Gentile sinners. Here he says he gave himself to a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Later on, now he explains whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Isn't that beautiful? So you see, there is where the mystery begins. This was not prophesied. Sure, the cross is in it like the cross is in everything else. We're reconciled to God in one body. There's body truth. How? By the cross. Of course we are. But now then, let's say to our subject right here, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified later on, in due time, through the Apostle Paul. Now, there are many things can be said about this, and by the way, there are a lot of them in that book, The Twofold Purpose of God, it's in that little packet, that mystery packet. But uh, there's much more could be said, but the basic thing I want to say is in the Old Testament when the cross is predicted or viewed, foreviewed, the sufferings of Christ are foreseen, he is always the victim 
a voluntary victim, but a victim. He's a victim yet as, uh, as in Peter's message. You took him. Don't say he did it. You took him and with wicked hands you crucified him and slew him. He's a victim. And that's why Israel someday will have to repent and will have to repent before she can ever be saved. Ah, but that's not so in the Pauline message. Never. What's that I read in Colossians 2.14? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance which was, ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It isn't the law, the broken law, nailing Christ to the cross. He's nailing the law to the cross. And he says, having spoiled or made spoiled of ruined, beaten principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now the Old Testament has Christ triumphing after the cross and because of the cross, but not in it. You go to the book of Hebrews. You don't find Christ being offered in sacrifice there. He's offering the sacrifice. By his own blood he entered once into the holy place. By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This man, after he offered one sacrifice, and what a sacrifice himself. <laughs> he couldn't offer a greater one, could he? This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Well, this, of course, leads us to the next fact, that all are on the same level. There is not Jew and Gentile anymore in God's sight. They didn't accept the message given to them. They did not repent. So God set them aside and the kingdom is now, the earthly establishment of the kingdom, is now being held in abeyance. And now what do you have? Romans 8.32 or 11.32 God has concluded them all in unbelief. Why? that he might have mercy upon all, Jew and Gentile alike. And in the first chapters of Romans, the first three chapters, you know how the apostle shows that all are sinners. The pagans, the Gentile moralizers, and even the people of Israel. They thought they were different. God says, no, you're not. Don't you know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, Israel. Why? That now every mouth might be stopped. The Gentiles already, Paul says, I've already shown them to be guilty. Now let's tackle the Jew. He needs to know it too. And he says he has shown them all to be guilty before God. Don't you know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth might be stopped and all the world might be brought in guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Oh, how sad that some, as Paul describes them, are still going about to establish their own righteousness still thinking the law was given to help them to be good when God says I gave it to show that you are bad and need a savior. Well, then he goes on in verse 21. I didn't mention the verses. 
is Romans 3, 19 and 20. I just quote. Then in verse 21, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful two words. We find it again and again with Paul. But now, nobody, nobody, beloved, before Paul said this. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law that is born witness to by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. And I would like to take the time to go into the rest of these uh, verses here through to 28, but notice this in verse 25. He says, we now declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. He doesn't say be baptized for the remission of sins as uh, Peter did to the Hebrews at Pentecost. He says, now, this is a great message of grace, is it not? Now we declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Now we know how David was saved. Now we know how Moses was saved. Now we know how all of those under the law and before were saved. Not by keeping the law, because none of them kept it perfectly. All of them very imperfectly. Now we know how it was because Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, died for them too. Now then, we declare, verse 26, I say at this time, not immediately after Christ had risen from the dead, but in due time, I say at this time, but now, we declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus and is baptized? No, that's the Great Commission. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the message of prophecy. That's not our message today. Here it says, it's all his righteousness. So that he that believeth in Jesus might be justified. The justifier of him that believeth in Jesus, period. Isn't that wonderful?